tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads from over 200 countries and your number one source in after-show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Yep. Oh, yeah. Nice. Throwback. Wow. Echoes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you for tuning in. This is AfterBuzz TV's Creators and Showrunners, where we interview the creators and showrunners behind your favorite TV series on TV. I'm your host, Stephen Lemieux, and I'm joined here by an amazing and exceptional person in the, um, in the TV industry. He has created, he has the mind behind such amazing shows such as White Collar, mm. Graceland, and you know, you gotta, you gotta shout out. Go ahead and shout out. McShasty. <laughs> Shasta McNasty, that's there right. There you go. Shasty McNasty. Doobie doobie doo. Thank yep. you so much for joining us today. Jack hey, Easton you. is our guest in the studio today. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and take my headphones off because okay. after hearing the song, that was the only reason we had them on. So <laughs> oh, you can, I can you take can mine off too? Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Jeff, you, you've had a very interesting career so far. So far. It yeah. has a long way to go, especially when we have plans for Graceland to move further, several more seasons onward. Knockwood, yeah. And... We also want to talk a little bit about White Collar and how right. that's actually wrapping. It's probably a very bittersweet moment right mm-hmm. now for you guys. It is, yes. Um, but I first want to kind of get a background to who you are. So you graduated Colorado State mm-hmm. for journalism, and you uh, just a shout out. You were a keynote speaker yep. for their media festival. Last I year. was. Yeah. How did that go? Was that uh, no? Well, I've gone back and uh, you know spoke at the alma mater a few times. Actually, Greg Luft, my professor, just texting me tonight saying, "Hey, you coming back this year?" So, but it's always fun to go back, you know, because um, I started, yeah, CTV, which is, I guess, turned into a real thing now. I was, mm-hmm. like, one of the founders of that, when literally, like, it was me and, like, a beta deck and a camera, that, <laughs> you know. So, it was kind of cool to go back and see it's turned into this real thing now. You know, That's so really cool. cool. What made you decide to go to Colorado sure. State in journalism? Uh, As a kid, were you always filming things? Or? Yeah, I was. Actually, go on YouTube and you type in Jeff Easton, um, E-A-S-T-I-N, by the way, and uh, I think you can type in, I think, Super 8 or something like that. And a bunch of my old, my my buddy who I'd make these little Super 8 movies with when I was like 15, put them all up on YouTube. So there's a bunch of those up there now. So you ripped them all and uploaded Yeah, I guess that was a surprise to me, you know. Are Phil, they any shout good? Shout out to Phil Haskell. Well, it depends on what you mean by good. <laughs> if, by, if by like, you know, no, they're kind of terrible. But, you know, it's kind of fun. I was actually... Uh, uh, I just watched them recently. As a matter of fact, this last weekend I was looking at a couple. But yeah, I did that. And then what happened was I'd never been to LA before. I was, you know, like, wow, LA, that's where they make the movies and stuff. And a friend of mine, like I said, hey, I'm going to go stay at Phil's house over the weekend. And he said he was staying at mine. And we drove to LA, which is a whole adventure in itself. I think we were 16. Wow. And I got out here and it scared the hell out of me. I was, this, this town just scared <laughs> what the hell out of me. What year is this? This would have been, let's see, I was 16. So it would have probably been, geez. Um, eighty, eighty three, eighty four, somewhere. So that's there. like the that's like the heyday, right? With the clouds in the city. Yes. <laughs> no, literally. Yeah, and it was you know in L A. Just it, it was absolutely terrifying. I mean, we showed up and like the adventure out there, like halfway through Utah, I was exhausted. We'd driven all night, and I said, "Okay, it's time to switch." And Phil goes, "Well, I don't know how to drive a stick." 
Oh. Like, are you kidding me? When did, this is pertinent information on the drive. Oh, so, like, I had to get up to 40 miles an hour, and then we'd swap seats and stuff. And then we blew a, you know, we blew a radiator hose and finally crawled into the, the place and just, you know, L.A. with no money and having no... It oh, you didn't terrifying. have anything? No, we had nothing. We literally were two 16-year-old idiots from Colorado, and it was terrifying. And I went back, and I'd actually got accepted to UCLA. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, no, I'm terrified. I'm not going to go there. So... I decided to go to CSU because it was easy and um, went there instead. And, you know, I went in. Uh, I was a computer science major my first year. And one day I walked into, because this is before to date myself, I was the first guy to have a laptop, or not even a laptop, I had a, had a PC. A PC junior was the first guy in our dorm. And I walked in one day and I looked over and it was like the entire population of, you know, the, the computer lab was the comic book guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> they were all these, like, overweight guys, you know, bearded guys. They're all pale because they don't get out in the sun and stuff. And I went, I can't be this guy. Did you meet any future editors there? No. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. No. Uh, no, but I went in. At that point, I walked into, I went over to what, the closest thing they had to a film. They didn't have TV. Really, mm-hmm. Well, they had TV broadcasting. Went in, and Fred Shook, who was this cool old guy, I said, hey, Fred, look you know, uh, I want to make movies. That's what I want to do. And he said, well, we don't really have a program anymore. But what he did is I became a journalism major, which I took all those core classes, but he unmothballed like the old Airy BL camera for me. And so, well, they were making news stories. I made a little student film every week, which was amazing. I mean, it was my buddies who were at CU, you know, with Stan Brackage and stuff, were making these weird experimental films. I was Mm -hmm. making like a real, like little movie every week, uh, which was really awesome training. And then, you know, I graduated... Um, let's see what year did I graduate? It's probably in my bio there, but I I went and DP'd a couple couple of films for Roger Corman. Yeah, you did. Uh, you did Lock and Load yes. and White Fury. Yes, both available at the finer Spanish language section of <laughs> your uh, video store. What was your first experience working with these movies? Like, <laughs> was it kind of like throw threw you into the fire and kind of hope that you come out unscathed? No, it really wasn't that bad. Um, I mean, this was like real low budget stuff in Colorado. Um, it started with uh, Lock and Load. They were shooting in Boulder. I'm from a little town, you know, just a couple miles north of Boulder. And a buddy of mine was working. Uh, uh, Corman was producing him. Guy David Pryor was the director, and my buddy was working as a second assistant camera. And he mm-hmm. said, "Look, the first day, the first assistant camera is an idiot. They're going to fire him probably. So show up on set and just hang out." So I showed up, and sure enough, this this kid, the first AC, drops a lens. You know, oh. so they fire him, and my buddy goes over and whispers, and David, the director, comes over, and he says, "Go get me a bucket of f-stops." I'm not an idiot, and I'm like. F stops are on the lens, not. He goes, you're hired. So that was my. <laughs> that was literally my interview. And at that point, um, you know, that was day one. I was the first AC, and then the next day, because I was uh, the the director of photography, the DP was being paid 150 dollars a week. Right, this is how low budget it was. Wow. He got a car commercial and didn't show up. So David came over to me and he goes, can you point the camera? And I go, yeah. And he goes, you're, you're now the DP. <laughs> so that's how I got my first, you know, DP gig. And uh, they liked me enough. They kept me on the second second film. And uh, you know, again, it was like. 13-day schedules, and it was pretty amazing. But even with even with it being low budget, mm-hmm. you're still working with the cameras, you're still coordinating right. people, and you're still getting the shots. Yeah, it was a little, it, there was an intimidation factor, but I think, you know, I'd done so many, you know, so many of those student films and stuff mm-hmm. that I felt, I was very confident around a camera, I really, you know, I felt like I knew what I was doing, so. Did you have any play in the editing to that or anything? Or no, did... I mean, literally, what happened is I got down and David said, hey, you know, if you, uh, if you come out to L.A., we got a job for you as a DP, and I'm oh, like, wow, wow. okay. So then, uh, at that point, I decided, okay, I'm going to do this. I saved up all my money. I bought a Volkswagen camp bus. 
And I, you know, uh, graduated college. and That's so 80s stereotypical. It really oh, is. Oh, it was, ter- it was awesome. <laughs> so I headed out. I spent five days driving out. And a f- uh, friend of mine had said, who had been to L.A., actually her, her name, she was an older woman, but she had played Nurse Abel on MASH, if you remember MASH. Hawkeye yeah. for like talks about Nurse Abel a lot. And I think she was in four episodes as like a, you know, a day player. She was the eye candy, though, for the... Yeah, literally four episodes. And like in Colorado, she was the film industry. Like people are like, oh my God, she's been to Hollywood. She knows. And she Big did give me good advice. She said, if you want to be a director, you need a script. Scripts are the hard thing. Everybody wants to be a director, but you need a script. And I could always write okay. So I longhand this script on the way out. And I called it Shadow Dancer, and it was, you know, based on this uh, Billy Joel song, The Stranger, <laughs> which I think is playing there. There's a line in there that says, have you ever let your lover see the stranger in yourself? So I did this thing. It was about a guy who, a doctor who's treating a girl with multiple personalities. He falls in love with a sweet personality. He starts having sex with another, uh, the, the evil Sharon Stone personality. The two personalities discover each other through video and various means and plot to kill the doctors. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. So I longhand this thing. And I finally get to I get to California again. I've been there once, and I decided to go to USC. Oh, that's a nice area. <laughs> so I go there, park my van off campus. Luckily, I put on my backpack, which had the script, which was long-handed in a notebook. I go walk around campus. I come back. My van's gone. It was right where that pile of glass was. And the cops show up and laugh and say, you know. You're never going to see it again. Never see it again. Welcome to L.A., kid. It had everything I own in it. It had my, you know, cashier's check for two grand, my computer. I mean, everything. And so I'm in tears. I'm standing somewhere. And this is South Central, keep in mind. I mean, where SC is. It's not the nicest area. I'm on a phone. I'm calling my dad. There's gunshots in the background. And I say, Dad, fly me home. And to his everlasting credit, he said, you know what? When you get enough money for a ticket, I'll fly you home. And he told me later it was one of the hardest things he's ever had to do because, you know, his poor son's dying out there. But, you know, had, it, had that not happened, you know, I'd probably be selling insurance in Longmont. It's right tough now. love. It was. And I'm glad, you know, and I walked around and I ended up falling asleep at the Kinko's over by SC. Um, and this nice lady wakes me up about three in the morning and says, you can't sleep here. And she was the manager. So she hired me. So, boom, day one, I'm working at Kinko's. So I have a job. And then I hiked, walked around the neighborhood. There's an old mansion still downtown on, like, Garland on Figueroa there. And it was like an old flop house. I got a room there. Old German guy named Wolfgang Zelder, who was who had shaken hands with Hitler as a youth. And uh, you know, he tells me he's like, you know, you don't have a you don't have money. You can pay me later. So boom, I have wow. a place. I have a job. I'm ruling L.A. already. Your whole life is coincidences this far. Well, so far, yeah. Like Everything. literally, it's mm-hmm. it's you're going through every single needle hole. Well, yeah. I mean, Not really yeah. that. No, I mean, my, a lot of my life has been that way. Well, that's good. That's amazing yeah. because, mm-hmm. I mean, look, even looking back when college, like having a teacher that cares enough to let you do short films as opposed right. to the journalism yeah. things, mm-hmm. like that builds you up, then randomly ending up on that movie, they fire the guy. Right. And now L.A. L.A. is a terrifying place sometimes. I was oh, yeah. at a, I was at a, part, a really sketchy place once and our car got towed and literally like we're the only – me and this – I was with a friend who's a Playboy model. So like stand out, <laughs> only white people there. Mm-hmm. And I mean I don't mean to like – bring any sort of race into it but like it was scary as hell because we're trying to flag down a cop mm-hmm. to get a ride at the top right. so uh, yeah it's a scary place guys if mm-hmm. you don't if you don't have it is especially because when you think hollywood from colorado and you get to hollywood you're like damn i did that's not hollywood that's yeah. not you know new like and, and if we're allowed to talk about you because we we're just talking about beforehand uh, you got this job yeah it's kind of cool but i mean i think you did it i mean there's threading the needle but there's also stephen king says 
in one of his books, he said, look, you know, yes, you have to be, you have to be at the right place at the right time, but you can always get to the right place and just wait. Yeah, you need to walk through the door when it's open for you. Yeah, and you said, you know, to get this, you came here and you hung out and you were just kind of hanging out. You you just showed every day and worked and worked and worked. They made you the host. So yeah, you got to work. You got to work for free before you work for money. It's true, but there is a certain amount of. I mean, I I do look, and there's a certain amount of serendipity in my life. I mean, just you know, two rap parties ago, I showed up at a rap party, changed my life, the whole thing. You know, long story, which. You can keep asking me questions. Wait, I'm kind of interested to hear about this yeah, rap party. That's right, that's right. No, okay, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay, so so now you're in LA. You mm-hmm. have a place to live. You have a job at Kinko's. Right. So, how do you jump into to this? Was the job still there that he offered you? Oh, the job. Yeah, it's interesting. So the job was. Yeah, they, I came in and they said, "Look, we'll hire you as a DP. At, uh, you know, you work over here for us. Uh, work with Corman. Uh, I think it was 1,200 a week." Mm-hmm. This is amazing. Good. And they said, great. All you need to do is have your own camera package. Ah. And I went, oh, and it was about 1500 to rent that camera package. And so that was it. So I was done. And then uh, You didn't look for a Volkswagen van that was maybe you could break into and, break steal, and steal their steal camera it. package? No, I literally, it was like at that point, I literally, you know. We're giving up. It, it wasn't necessarily giving up. It was just, oh, that didn't work out. And so I was working at Kinko's. I would come home and I would finish longhanding the script. And then what actually happened was... Um, you know, reports get back in Colorado that I am like the guy, right? People mm-hmm. are like, oh my God, Easton's ruling LA, he, like runs the town now, you know, from Kinko's, I'm controlling everything. And um, so I'm longhanded in the script, and again, this is kind of a flop house, this mansion, and a lot of actors and things in the house. And I let a few of them read it, and they were like, dude, this is the worst piece of crap I've ever read. This is <laughs> absolutely terrible. And, you know, I don't want to be a writer necessarily, so they're probably right. So I kind of shelved this thing. And my Greg Richards was my college roommate. Um, he gets, oh my God, Jeff. So he, he shows up one day and he goes, dude, I heard you roll, roll, run in the town. And I'm like, you're not so much running it as, you know, I'm making copies for people who run it. But, um, you know, he reads this and he goes, dude, this is really good. And I'm like, really? Everybody else hates it. And he goes, ah, they're jealous, whatever. So Zalman King, who did mm-hmm. uh, Two Moon, you know, Two Moon Junction, Wild Orc, and they Lots were doing, of erotica. Ero- yeah, erotic thrillers, I guess. And uh, they had just set up to do, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Ah, for Showtime, I'm totally blanking on it. Uh, Red Shoe Diaries. Okay. And he, you know, Greg's buddy was a PA on the show. So unbeknownst to me, he takes my script, which is a long-handed script. There's no copy of this thing. You work at Kinko's, you would think the brain would work. I would make a copy, but no, there was no copy. Greg takes it out of my drawer, leaves it on Zalman's assistant's desk. And I don't know anything about this. So a couple days later, I get a call from this guy. He's like, hello, this is Henry. And, you know, Jeff, um, someone's assistant, want to buy your script. And his accent was about as bad as mine, so I assume it's a lie, right? <laughs> and so I ignore the message. A couple days later, I get another call. This is Butch Kaplan. I'm a uh, producer with Zalman and want to buy your script. You know, Greg, you're an idiot, so I delete the message. Third time, he calls. <laughs> it's Zalman saying, we want to buy your script. And I tell Greg, what are you doing? And he's like, are you an idiot? And he tells me what You're happened. You're playing hardball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I sell it to sell it to Zalman. Sell it to, uh, you know. Sell the that, option I'll put, to. Yeah, I'll, sell, I'll put that in quotes. It was like $32,000. I'm high-fiving. I ended up netting like two grand off the script deal, right? Because it said 32000 if it gets made and if it outgrosses, you know, Titanic and if, you know, all this stuff. Um, so I go to Kinko's like, screw you guys. I got a real job, you know. And so, you know, a year later, I'm begging them to come back. Now, on that, I kind of was actually. But, you know, so I, I, I you know, I sell the script. So $2,000, whatever. I, I'm in pocket. I'm very excited. And, you know, so I spend like a year working, developing it for Zalman. And the one thing Zalman said is, do not get an agent. Do not get a, re- a real lawyer. We will take care of you. So the first thing I did is I went and got an agent and a lawyer. And first thing they do is break the deal with Zalman, you know. 
And then uh, my agent, uh, I guess I can use names, Jeff Robinoff at the time, who ended up kind of running Warner Brothers for a while. Um, he always called it the play because, again, it was I told you what it was about, right? It's, and it was two people in a cabin. That was I wrote it for me to go direct, right? And he called it the play. And I'm like, great, man. And he's like, yeah, we're going to set this up. We're going to make you a millionaire. And then like three weeks later, he goes, yeah, nobody wanted it. <laughs> that was it. We're done. And so suddenly I'm sitting here. You know, I've got my two grand. That's all I got. I'm freaking out. Ultimately, another agent sells it. And so that's that particular script I've sold, I think, six times now. And actually, it's made me enough money, but it never gets made. <laughs> so I kept bouncing around. But the thing is, it kind of kind of motivated me. I said, well, I can actually do this. I can write something somebody wants. So I took sort of the five grand I had, and I, I tried, and then um, didn't didn't really work. So I ended up going back to Colorado. I kind of panicked, went back to Colorado, okay. and I was back there. Um, and there was a point where you know I was I was back in Colorado and thought, you know, I'll give it up. I'll give the dream up. And I had this ultimately from selling the script a couple of times, I had $6,000 in my pocket and I was working at a bank through a friend of my dad's got me the job working at a bank and they were about to promote me to assistant loan manager. And it was a really big deal. That would be a career. And it was a career. And I walked in and they had a cake for me on the day of my promotion. And I quit. I said, I'm not, I'm out. So my parents, everybody in my life was like, are you a moron? And I'm like, I don't know if I am or not. So I took my six grand and I started making a movie myself called held up. And so I wrote it really quickly. It was about this guy that gets trapped in the convenience store. But you got Jamie Foxx. This was long before Jamie. Okay. I was going to do it. I went, took my 6000 I rented a convenience store in Colorado. And talk about coincidences again, a buddy of mine who I'd met at Kinko's, this guy Eric Fleming, um, I said, hey, would you register this thing at the WGA for me to save the cost of mailing it in? <laughs> you know, because this is before email, keep in mind. Yeah. So I sent him a copy, and he's going to walk it over, you know, to for me. He's going to walk it over and take it any reason. He goes, hey, this is pretty good. It's pretty funny. And I said, oh, cool. And he goes, can I show it to my agent? Yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, because I'm going to go make this thing, right? Screw it. I'm coming back. And then I get a call, and there's like a bidding war suddenly between uh, Propaganda and Trimark Pictures for it. Wow. And so they're like, hey, we want to, you know, Trimark one, and they want to buy this thing and make it. Okay, well, we need you to do some rewrites. And I don't know if you know the name Neil Moritz. Neil's a huge producer, you know, Fast and the Furious. I know what you He's did last summer. He's done a lot. He's Big still guy. doing a lot. Yeah, and this is before he was that guy. But he had been the producer on it, and he calls me and says, well, we need you out here. And I went, well, I live in Colorado. I can't. Oh, and there's that six grand you're going to make a movie with. Boom, yep, and I use it to drive out. So I drive out, get a, I live in the canals, get a, get a, get a house in the canals. I'm living in there, living on Venice Beach. And, uh, you know, that was sort of it. And I came out, Jamie Foxx gets attached. We end up making a long, crazy story on that one too. But that one gets made. And then I saw another thing to, uh, this thing called Freelancer, which got me True Lies 2. And then Neil comes back into my life and says, Hey, you went to the TV? And I'm like, TV? What's that? <laughs> you know, uh, why would I do that? And he goes, I don't know. It's, I say the money's good and you don't have to travel. Oh, okay. Um, and we did uh, Shasta McNasty was the first show, mm -hmm. which was, uh, you know, funny in itself, called at various points the, the lowest the, the lowest pinnacle of television. Um, I was considered like the, the worst television writer in history uh, wow. by one review. I know. I didn't. Not in history. I mean, I'm, you, you didn't you didn't take that to heart. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, which was sort of interesting. So no, but it was kind of devastating. Um, but you know, Shasta was what it was. It was a great learning experience. And then uh, you know, after that, I did a couple of pilots that uh, that didn't work. And then uh, you know, did NBC, yeah. which is a big cop show for or Hawaii, which is a big cop show for NBC. And then that mm -hmm. didn't work. And then White Collar worked. So. White Collar worked. White yeah. Collar has been working phenomenally well. And I do want before we get into White Collar, I do want to ask. Okay. James Cameron offering you True Lies right. too. Mm -hmm. How? <laughs> that was that was interesting. It was like um, it was an open assignment, believe it or not. And I didn't know at the time. Like Lightstorm does a ton of projects, mm -hmm. but because Jim, you know, Jim's schedule, a lot of them don't get made. So 
you know, but everybody wanted True Lies too. And so I submitted Freelancer, which was this thing I'd written for uh, Fox 2000. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought it was pretty good. Um, but it was, it was kind of a big comedy thing. It was about a guy who, uh, uh, he was like kind of a, a Tom Selleck who was on this like 80s TV show where he played a bodyguard who gets kicked out of the White House for sleeping with the First Lady, right? He was, he was, he was one of the, okay. <laughs> one of the Secret Service, sleeps with the First Lady, gets kicked out, and he becomes like a rock and roll bodyguard called Jake Lancer, right? And basically there's this, uh, this, this shake from, I think, it was, it was it was Cutter. I think he's a shake from Cutter, and he's like the most more people have tried to assassinate him than any other person in the universe. And nobody wants to be his bodyguard because they all end up dead. And so <laughs> he's like, "We well, don't give me Jake Lancer." And this, you know, through Jake Lancer bodyguard, right. rock and roll style. So our guy assumes it's a it's an assignment. So he shows up assuming it's very much Galaxy Quest. Yeah, you know, and it was before Galaxy Quest. So I'll take it, but it's very similar where he shows up and he goes, "Oh, this is an act, and the bullets are real." And, you know, it worked, it worked pretty good. And kind so, of Bowfinger as well, too. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. So, you know, so this thing, and so I wrote it, and it got a lot of attention at the time. And, you know, various Tom Selleck was attached, Jim Carrey was attached, there was all these people attached, but it kind of put me in that world. And I was with UTA, and my agent said, hey, do you want to audition, do you want to go in and pitch for uh, for True Lies, for the sequel? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, like, so, Spielberg yeah. and Cameron were like, it to me. You know, those were the guys. And so I went in, and... Uh, you know, I'd, I'd come up with a take, which uh, which was, I don't know, it was, it was a big, crazy take where, like, there's this, this thing where, like, uh, um, they blow, they, they're going through the channel and they blow both, both ends of the channel and these bad guys have a thing where they go down and they're going to, you know, extract this dude and this whole thing. And I, I'm working on Shasta McNasty at the time, which is a UPN show, very low budget. And very different. Very different. So I, I pitch this and go through several interviews. I mean, my greatest moment of my career probably is I'm sitting there and I finally get up to Cameron. It's like level five of the interview process. And I'm sitting there and he walks in and he looks at me and he goes, you're funny. He goes, like, thanks. He goes, I read that script. You're funny. A lot of people think they're funny, but you're funny. Okay, I'll take that. From Cameron. <laughs> so, you know, he does that and we sit there and talk about it. And uh, he's like, no, I like your take. It's pretty cool. Stuff like that. I like, you know, we'll, we'll do this. So he hires me. And I mean, it was like a big deal. I mean. Uh, my, my, I was especially enjoying the people who said I was the worst writer in television history. It's in biting their like, tongue, eating, putting the. Well, no, I think they were assuming at that point Cameron was batshit crazy <laughs> because <laughs> clearly he had just hired the worst. People still assume that though, still. Right, so they were like, "Oh, well, of course he's crazy. He hired the worst writer in television history. So how could he be anything?" But so at that point, um, you know, uh, th- th- this is what I hadn't learned about the industry. So Harry Knowles, who was doing Ain't It Cool dot com. I don't know if he's still around. I don't. Yeah, he, but no, back no. then he was like the you know big gossipy guy, and all of a sudden he, he in one of his stories like a few days later because it was a big deal. True Lies two it got announced it was a big deal, and Harry was like talked about how he had used a medium to like you know like uh, kind of you know astro project into Jim's office and read my treatment, and he nailed it. He he clearly had a copy of this thing, so I don't know. So I get a call from Cameron the next day, and he's like, basically screw you, you're fired. Like, I can't believe you'd go to the press. And I'm like, what the hell? I had no idea, right? Well, it turns out that Harry's people found out who I was and had paid one of our PAs, like, 500 bucks to rifle my desk for it on, on Shasta McNasty. We fired the PA, but that's how they got the thing. So Jim was like, well, now we have to throw that out and we got to start over. So we tossed out my pitch, oh. started up. No, believe me, but this is like, I had no idea, right? And Jim was very sympathetic at that point. He's like, look, it's a new world. You, you, you know, things, pe- people, this will be a new world for you, which it really was. I mean... One of my favorite stories is uh, I'm sitting down and Schwarzenegger wants to meet me, of course. And so of course. <laughs> well, yeah. So he's – well, it's like he wants to know who, who's about who's to screw up his yeah. career, right? Um, so I sit down and get invited to Shotzi, you know, Shotzi on Main. And uh, uh, this is one of those things where it's one of those stories I probably – I was just actually uh, – I was just telling, uh, <laughs> telling Courtney this over the weekend, which was – 
I never smoked a cigar before. And it's like, come smoke cigars with Arnold. So I, I actually buy cigar cigars for dummies, right? Because I've never done this before. So I finally get there, and I'm trying to, like, light it and do something. I haven't done this. So I finally get there, and Arnold's, you know, he's not there. And this is right now. He'd just come off of, uh, or actually not come off of, but Gladiator was big. Okay. And I don't know if you remember the guy, the, the huge, he's like seven foot three, the trainer, Russell Crowe's trainer in that movie. He's like the big monster guy. Yeah. Arnold was hanging out with that group. So all of a sudden, he's next to me, and Arnold's across from me. And first of all, Arnold's much shorter than I expected. Just so slightly intimidated. Yeah, I'm freaked out, and he's just across from me. He's got this kind of glare on him, and he looks at me, and he's like, uh, uh, he, well, "Let's see, what was it?" Because it, it, it was very intimidating. And I said, "Hey, it's very nice to meet you." He doesn't look. He doesn't say anything. He just looks at me. and He goes, and "He goes, uh, he goes. There are two ways to write really good action." Because either, either you know every action movie ever made, or you're a very physical guy yourself, and just looking at you don't look particularly physical. <laughs> And that was my introduction. I'm like, um, well, I know a lot of movies. Okay, good. I said, uh, he's like, so why, should, why do I, you know, so why do you think Jim hired you? And I said, I don't know. I guess he, I guess he likes what I does. He goes, we hired you quickly. And I said, yeah, he did. And he goes, hired fast, fired fast. I like that. <laughs> and then boom, he's gone again. Literally, that was it. I was like, holy God. Um, and like, you know, I literally was like, I just, I want to quit now, you know. So <laughs> at this point, um, you know. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I might as well quit. Uh, the, the one saving grace was after I did the draft, you know, and I talked to Jim, and I'm like, ah, and he's like, Nagnor Arnold, you know, whatever. And, you know, um, after, just as an addendum to that, I'd finished the draft and turned it in, and um, which was like six, eight months later, and Jim had read it and really liked it and had a meeting with Arnold and stuff like that. And I was actually with a couple of executives from UPN. I was at some restaurant, and all of a sudden Maria Shriver comes over to me, and she goes, Jeff, hi, how are you? And I'm like, hey, good to see you. And Arnold walks over, and he's like, Jeff, how are you, man? I, saw the, I read the draft. It was excellent. Just very excited to be working with you. 9-11 kind of kiboshed the whole project. Oh, wow. And, yeah. uh, you know, but again, it's like things, if you're going to lose certain things at 9-11, I figure losing a film project. I was, mean, True Lies has the epitome of a scene where you're shooting a missile through a exactly, so and Jim's like, it's yeah, not really. He's not like, a good time. To, no, and we were doing biological weapons. It just seemed like a not a good time to be doing it. So that kind of, and you never know. Um, Do they still have the option on the script? Uh, yeah, they still own it with lights so turning on. You never, I, I don't think so. I mean, there was some talk. Then Arnold got elected, and then you know, I think Tom Arnold still tries to about every every two months. Tom tries to get it going, but uh, you know. Um, How about Expendables 4, True Lies 2? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. I mean, because we, we tried various versions where Arnold's a grandfather, and, you know, <laughs> it's like, now it's going to be a great-grandfather. Yeah. So it's still in process. It's just one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like you never know if it's going to happen or exactly. not. Exactly. Yeah, I, I would say at this point, True Lies, a sequel is probably dead. A reboot's probably a better... A reboot would be the way to go, I think. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool, though. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to yeah. know that that's kind of like... <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Fod, fast, fod, fast. Fod, <laughs> fast, fod, <laughs> Yeah, I get on my business card. That would. I mean, I, I like when I, when you first said that. I imagine like True Lies two trailer. Like critics are raving. Hired fast, fast fired fast. fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so okay. guys, I know uh, people watching. I gotta. We we gotta. We gotta oh, eventually right. talk, talk about, about Graceland right, right. and White Collar. Yes. I love hearing the stories though, because like the I love to experience like things that people would never know. Right. You know what I mean? Like nobody would ever have known that had you not told it here. So I really I really enjoy that. So let's talk about girl, white collar. Sorry white guys, collar, you sure. guys have to stay tuned for more, for the Graceland stuff. <laughs> okay. okay. So um I do want to ask what makes you so why have you not directed anything? Um, really, I mean look, I've always wanted to direct. That was why yeah. I came out here. And really what it was is just an ego thing. I mean, for me um, I always knew somebody else could direct it better. 
I, mean, okay. I could do it, but it always felt like for me to direct, it would hurt the show. You know, it, it may, I may do a great job, but I probably won't do as great a job as Kevin Bray or, you know, uh, Larry Tang or somebody who I know will do a good job. And, you know, look, to Bomer's credit, he was, you know, the one actor that said no. You know, same reason. It's just like, I, I want to direct, but uh, the show comes first. So really, that was it for me. I was actually wondering that because mm-hmm. I know Tim Decay has done yeah. an episode. Or yeah, three he's done episodes, a few. Right? He's done a few. Yeah. yeah, he's done one and- the fact that you and Bomer haven't done a single one, I was kind of interested. That, that was really the reason. I mean, it was just we could have. I mean, the network actually was pushing me to do it. Uh, Bomer and I, as a Bomer and I, actually discussed co-directing the finale, which we just wrapped. And ultimately, because there was a Daniel Sunjata who you know plays Briggs on Graceland, had injured his leg, mm-hmm. literally delayed filming. Delayed to... filming, and like the our finale, the white collar and Graceland finale started on the same day. So. You know, Oof. Bomer and I couldn't have done it, and you know, Sandy Bookstaver came in and did an excellent job. It's actually we just—I locked the white collar finale series finale today, and it's really good. So yeah, the series one, finale. Yeah, you know, well. the finale. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that. Okay, <laughs> believe me, I wish. But yeah. um, but directors you—the directors you work with really a lot are John Kretschmer and Russell Lee Fine. Right. Russell's actually worked mm-hmm. on Graceland Correct. a lot. Yep. Is he going to? He has. He's only done um, Lucky Eight Ball, I think, this season, or has he done? Who are we talking about, Russell? Uh, or John? Uh, I think we're talking about John, right? John, yeah. John, the one who mm-hmm. did Paul. Yeah. Um, are we going to see more from them on Graceland as well as Graceland? Uh, yeah, we love, we love John. John's schedule just hasn't worked out. Now, Russell is – Russell, had, he was my DP for White Collar Forever. And yeah. he had done that, – that was a, that was an interesting one because he had only done three episodes of television total. Before White Collar. Before Graceland. Oh, before Graceland. Yeah, he, he directed three episodes of White Collar for us and just kind of knocked them all out of the park. And then, you know, because for anybody that knows, like – you know, doing a pilot for a TV show is a really big deal. For TV directors, doing the, being a pilot director is you know sort of the pinnacle. That's what you want to be that guy. And so the competition is huge. You know, he's up against Rennie Harlan. You know, who's you know come back off of you know Die Hard two and everything. And you know, who's a great who we've worked with and is really good. Um, but I mean, you know, you get the best of the best. And you know, for Russell, those three episodes he'd done were excellent. But it was really. You know, he and I really, we just knew each other, kind of had that shorthand, and I kind of had to really kind of follow my sword for him, and it's always risky, but he, he really delivered in, in, in case of Graceland. So. Well, he's been doing a great job so yeah, he far. He's done job. a lot of the episodes. Yeah, we, done... we, uh, yeah, we cross-boarded, as they call it, 12 and 13, so he could direct, because he was actually originally slated to do the finale of White Collar, but then Daniel got injured and they got pushed, pushed and then, no, same day. so the timing worked, yeah, so Russell ended up directing 12 and 13 Graceland. Which was tonight's episode, which yeah, is very good. Which yeah. was very Excellent. good, and I'm looking yes. forward to episode 13 mm-hmm. next week. And then Doug Hanna, you work with yes. a lot. Yes, Doug is my, a hell of a lot. my favorite editor. Yes. Do you, because you post a lot of pictures on Twitter from mm-hmm. the editing room. Are right. you are you literally <laughs> sitting down with Doug like yeah. hours and hours and hours yeah, and hours? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, how much of the editing is, and actually, I kind of want to ask you this. It's okay. a Twitter question just sure. because uh, people were asking on here. What was. Are there any times where you collaborate with your actors and what's like an instant where you like their idea more than what you had already filmed so you decided um, to put that in? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, quite often. I mean, I don't know if I'm – if I do this more, but I, I tend to collaborate quite a bit with people. I mean, I don't really care where a good idea comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times the cast – well, I mean, in terms of like, – like Bomer, you know, is one of the smartest actors. I mean, he – always has really good ideas. I mean, Tim and Bomer both actually are, are very smart about it. Matt, um, interestingly, will have like a lot of ideas about the show. Tim will always have ideas about 
you know, Peter's character. He's very specific that way. And so for, you know, with Balmer, he'll suggest a lot of things. And, you know, a lot of things like, like, uh, a lot of the big story stuff with, uh, with Neil's dad came from Balmer. Um, well, talking about Graceland, like Vanessa's idea was for her to get pregnant. Um, oh. as a little bit of a show. Let's, uh, I guess this is not a spoiler, but I don't know what I'd call this alternate universe, <laughs> I guess, is in the original story construction, uh, Lu- Johnny gets Lucia pregnant. Okay. And at the last minute, because um, originally what had happened with Charlie's character is Charlie was supposed to meet Amber, and Amber was going to be a server at a restaurant um, in episode three. And for various reasons, we changed it, made her a bank robber, and kicked her down to her intro to episode eight. And that kind of put me in a tough spot with Charlie because we didn't, you know, we suddenly had like, you know, five episodes. Not a lot going on for Charlie. And she called me and said, you know, Lucia getting pregnant is kind of awesome. Like, what if it's me instead? So that's the case where we kind of went, oh, that's a good idea. So, and then Jamie Gray is sitting over there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's my um, yeah, well, it was, it was, it was a really dark version of, you know, cause that had, cause originally what happened, I mean, look, there was a, there was a version, we never went with this, where it's, that it, she ends up in the hospital and Briggs, you know, she's on life support with the baby and, you know, uh, Briggs has to decide. Has whether to decide to kill her or not because of various reasons. We didn't go that direction, but it would have been a little cliche. I gotta say, <laughs> exactly. Like, it would have been a little bit You've too seen cliche. That so many times. Um, I gotta thank um, <laughs> at uh, no, that was uh, at DJ Tino two two four on Twitter for that cool. question. And then, um, so when you're uh, dealing with this, when for white collar, I gotta yes. ask, where did you get the inspiration for the idea for it? Sure. Well, white collar was really um, just going. What's not on TV right now? Um, and there wasn't a lot of two-handers, you know. There's a lot of single lead shows, and for White Collar, it was actually a much darker, um, darker show. The, yeah. yeah, it was uh, my, the original idea because I was a huge Shield fan. Okay, you know Sean Ryan's show uh, with you know Vic Mackey's his Dirty Cop. So the original idea was called Redemption, and it was about um, this cop who was in prison for killing his partner. And because he was a you know suspected cop killer, nobody would work with him, and you know he was like the guy, and uh, like the the DA's daughter goes missing, and there's only you know this this gangbanger had grabbed her, or this sorry not gangbanger, I'm switching my shows, uh, cartel leader had grabbed her, and you know Neil was the only one that could, this cop was the only guy that could help, and so they put a tracking ankle on him, let him out, uh, try to help this, and while he's out, he we find out he's actually trying to solve his partner's murder, or is he looking for the money that both of them supposedly buried? We don't know. And he teams up with this very attractive uh, female cop, and who nobody will work with because they think she slept her way to the top, and those two work together. That was redemption, and you know I was running around with that for a while, trying to pitch in there some interest, and then. Uh, uh, to sort of tie it together, um, Matt Nix had uh, come to me because I'd just gotten a divorce. And by the way, we'll talk about that in a minute. But my, my uh, Kate, the Kate storyline in White Collar was, was based on my divorce where my wife had gone crazy and sort of left town and I couldn't find her. So, um, okay. yeah, anyway, yeah, <laughs> long story there. But, uh, but basically, uh, you know, the idea of sort of sitting on set and, uh, you know, in Florida and hanging out with Matt Nix sounded really awesome. Nix decided not to hire me. I guess because USA had really gone like, oh my god, you got to hire Easton. He's awesome because they'd known me from various things. And Nix was like, well, wait a minute, why do you want to, why do you want me to hire him so bad? Because he's awesome. And I know, screw you. So he didn't hire me. But then uh, Fox Studio was like, oh well, who is this guy? We need to know. That's how they came to me and they said, you know, so if I give anybody credit, it would probably be uh, Matt Nix over at Fox who said, what do you got? And I said, oh, I've got this dark thing about a cop killer and stuff with this anklet. And he goes. Have you seen USA Network? <laughs> and I was like, why? And he goes, run that through their blue sky filter and see what pops out. And what popped out was white collar. Neil became this, this con man with a heart and, you know, teamed up with an FBI agent. And that was the idea for white collar. I mean, it's been widely successful. And it's honestly, mm-hmm. I, it's, uh, 
it's kind of interesting because if you look at white collar and you look at like where it started, it started six years ago yeah. now, and you see now that people are actually using hackers and they're using <laughs> right. and you even talked about it on on the Graceland podcast. You can I don't remember the name again, but it was a book. The guy right. who lockpicked the door, yeah, Kevin Mitnick. Kevin Mitnick. Mm-hmm. The, the police are using him to train people how to right, do these yeah. things. Like mm-hmm. they're using people like they are in white collar, right. except. Um, going out to uh, one of our hosts here, Lauren Eber- Ebersol, an AfterBuzz TV host. She has. There's always a mistrust between Peter and right. Neil, no matter how many times Correct. he proves that he's actually there to save him. Will he ever come around to fully trust Neil by the end of the season? Um, hmm. By the end of the series. By the end of the series. <laughs> uh, I would say no. 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 Wow. Yeah. So and that's what look. That's always been the thing. I mean, even season one, people were like, "Take him off the anklet," and can't they just be buddies? And then it's like, well, then it's just then it's just two buddies hanging out. And really, it was that distrust um, that you know? <laughs> let's put it this way: a good friend of mine who was also a doctor had uh, said to me because you realize it's always fun to have a shrink analyzing me through my shows. <laughs> you realize in both your shows, it's always about people who can't trust the people closest to them. And music boxes. And music boxes. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and music boxes. So, how involved are you with the cast? of the shows. Oh, completely. Uh, completely, okay. Initially, yeah, completely, 100%. I mean, it's a process. I mean, we see hundreds of actors literally for each role. Um, and then, you know, it's a big political thing. And then, you know, this process is you go to, you know, you get a group of actors and then you do callbacks and you weed them down, narrow it down. And I still remember, like, Matt Bomer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember walking in and we were seeing, like, we knew Neil was a good-looking guy. We're seeing every really good-looking guy in L.A., and it's sort of intimidating when you walk into that room, <laughs> um, and you're like, wow, those are the best-looking people I've ever seen, <laughs> you know, and you're walking. Uh, the one nice thing is apparently I look a little like Kevin McKidd, who, you know, the actor was in, uh, uh, it was in Rome and a couple other things, and uh, I guess I was sitting on the couch, and Bomer, when he came in, goes, why is Kevin, is Kevin McKidd producing this? Which I thought was cool. Um, but I remember uh, um, Gail Pillsbury, who's my casting director, walked in. And in this room of gorgeous-looking guys, points to this one. And Bomer's over there. He's got his headphones in. He's wearing, like, cut-off, you know, jeans and a dirty T-shirt or something. And he's just kind of chilling by himself. And she goes, that's your guy right there. And I was like, really? Wow. So that's him. And we had to Had ver- she already auditioned him? She just knew him from other things. Okay. She said he's fantastic. He's been in Traveler, you know, some other things. Like, he just, he's, he's never been used right. And, he exudes it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've never told Matt this. But famously on my audition thing, I gave him two stars and said, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the biggest reason was, is he was very earnest. Everything was very earnest. He wasn't particularly funny. And then uh, uh, we actually, then what you do is you take the actors to the studio. It's, you, know, you take them to the studio. It's very intimidating. It's a group of people in suits. Mm-hmm. And they sit there and we weed them down from like, usually you bring 10 to the studio and you weed it down to like four. You're going to take the network for each role. And there's a lot of politics in that. Like, do you bring the one you really want, and then you make sure you bring really crappy people, you know, to so, make sure yeah. look better. But then, what if they go with the crappy person? Um, and so we brought him in, and we kept taking him to network over and over again. He wouldn't get it, and the kids said he's not funny. Um, and it, he was playing Neil very, you know, and Matt's a very funny guy, and he, but he's playing him very, you know, intense and very sort of, you know, earnest. And finally, I said, what if, you know, what if Neil's armor is humor instead of, you know, whenever he gets uncomfortable, he gets funny. And Matt, I guess. Okay, and literally he came in and suddenly. I mean, he, he's got one of the, some of the best comic timing I've ever seen. And then there he is, boom! You know, blew the blew the exit. Blew away. Yeah, the second he walked in, I remember because Jackie DeCrinis and Jeff Walkteller were the presidents of the network at the time. 
Matt, about halfway through the scene, they both just look at each other, and Jackie looks at me, and she goes, "That's him." You know, that was it. So, wow. Mm-hmm. How, is is that the only is that the only time where you've really been blown away by somebody like? No, not like uh, blown away. I know. No, but, I mean well, the two. I mean Daniel Sinjata blew us away because again I was sin, and the other one that uh, you know Paul Briggs was supposed to be you know uh, <laughs> Swayze from Point Break. He was supposed to be this long haired surfer guy, you know, yeah, and kind of this intro- introvert. And Daniel comes in, and he's this big, you know, hey, how's it going, kind of guy, and. He blew us away because I did. I mean, I talked to Daniel a few times, and he seemed really, you know, I I, I known him from Rescue Me, and he, I knew he was a talented guy. I just didn't see him as Briggs, and so, but he so blew us away. That was one case where I completely reconceptualized the characters based on wow. the actor, and it was kind of a scramble for me to rewrite the entire pilot based on who he was because had I left it alone, it wouldn't have worked. Okay, you know, so it was, it was played as a character who fits the long Yeah, hair. and I do that with everybody. Like, once I get the actor, I have to get to know them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, Vanessa took me a while to, 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 to figure out who Charlie was. But she was somebody that blew us away. Like, literally, first audition, she, she did it. And I know she came in. All the actors out there always like this, these stories. But she comes in, and it, it's the scene in the pilot where she's got this wallet, where she's got, got the wallet. And she's like, Johnny, take this outside. Mm-hmm. And she came over during the audition, and she took my wallet which had stuff, you know, stuff in it. And then she just completely goes off script. She's looking at you, what the hell is this? Jesus Christ, you got a freaking subway card in here? She, you know, this is crap. <laughs> and she, she's literally doing it, and she, we're, we're laughing our asses off. And, I mean, she just she kind of blew us away, and it was boom. Uh, man, you know, uh, Manny Montana, who's funny, cause, who was so obvious for me in the role, um, Network initially didn't like him. They really? Just, I think they thought he was, like, the real guy, and they still had kind of an older USA mentality okay. where they had this guy, very good actor, but he was very kind of, he's a little ch- chubbier guy, and he was very funny, and he was sort of like Cheech and Chong version. He was kind of the very funny guy, whereas, you know, for me, Manny makes, is like a real version of Johnny. He's the, he's the good-looking guy who's kind of insecure about himself. Yeah, but, I mean, he looks the part. You know? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't look like a TV version of that guy. And that's what I finally, I think, used to convince USA was I said, look, this is the guy. I mean, you guys are trying to cast the guy who would play him in the TV show. This is the guy. And, you know, eventually they said, okay. And, you know, I can sort of usually win if I go to the bat for somebody most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that was somebody that I had to go to bat for because he was so good. Brandon, you know, Brandon, who's been in here several times, he was kind of a no-brainer. Um, you know, Tim DeCay. You needed the Red Power Ranger on the show. Exactly. Well, that was really what got him in part. <laughs> he brought the helmet in, which he does a lot. So he still sleeps in the suit, he says. Um, I did actually have a Twitter question from sure. at next Gabe. They said, I heard there, this is in his voice. I mm-hmm. heard there was special chemistry with Aaron and Daniel in their audition. Tell us about mm-hmm. how that and how that affected your casting decision. Um, well, you know, there were several, several guys reading for Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, you know, Daniel, Daniel, we'd already, was, it was kind of a no brainer for us. I mean, he just boom, blew us away. I and mean, there was a few guys, you know, for Mike and there were, there were a lot of different choices, you know, d- different ways to go. I mean, there was, th- there were a lot of much darker versions of Mike, you know, a lot of b- sort of brooding James Dean types and that, and I think initially we were kind of going in that direction and Aaron came in and it was just, it was just one of those cases where, you know, especially two actors that have never really worked together. I mean, you're throwing them in a room for the first time. You got everybody in suits. And USA is a very friendly room compared to some. You know, in some rooms, it's like nobody says a word and they're taking notes. But USA will laugh and they'll they'll encourage and they'll kind of talk back and stuff. And the two guys just came together and it was it, it just instantly looked like these two guys were friends. Like hmm. it almost it really had a feel of these guys knew each other before. And I asked them later. I said, "Have you guys met?" And they're like, "No," but it felt like you know they'd been hanging out for a few years and it was just I think that chemistry that really just kind of won the day that's really awesome mm-hmm. 
So I got to get back to why yes, like, we keep going back to Graceland because like everything <laughs> no. leads into each other. It's amazing how these shows are so interconnected because I mean it's 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 almost like we have somebody who writes both shows here. It's really mm. it's weird. I don't I don't, I don't right. know if that works. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see here. What do you think? Oh, this is going to be a tough one for you. Sure. Okay. And it's kind of not really a loaded question, but it's kind of a very it's okay. not a very concise question. I apologize. Please. What do you think needs to go into a series to make it as successful as White Collar has been? Whew. Um, well, we spent a lot of time on that. Yeah. You know, look, it's tough. I mean, um, probably, you know, because you, you pull out the variables. And, you know, it's like like we have different writers for each episode. And, I mean, White Collar especially, I was able to keep my, I keep my voice in the show quite a bit. Um, but, you know, the individual lines and things like that kind of come out. So really, you know, I think... Um, to name drop for a second, Cameron said to me one time, there's really two shows you make. You make the one line or the poster, which is what gets people in the door. You know, they, you want to see a, you know, hey, a, a evil machine that travels back in time and kills people. I'll watch that. And then it's the actual execution of that that keeps them there. And I think TV especially is, you know, you see the poster or whatever. It's like, hey, do I want to go watch that? And well, like the strain. I do the strain after show here. Okay. You see the worm coming out of the eye. You're right. like, what the hell is that? What is that? I got to check that yeah. out. And then, but once you get there, you better have something to hold them. And I yeah. think, you know, I think the concept was good. I think, you know, I mean, I still, I think my, the white color pilot's still one of the best pilots. I mean, I really like the pilot. You know, it's one of the few of my shows I would watch. You know what I mean? But, um, uh, I think in that case, I think the casting chemistry was just right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look, USA, we spent six months casting white collar. And at a certain point, we were just like, just cast it already. And to their credit, USA kept saying, no, we got to get it right. So I think, you know, I think once you've got that initial concept, which hopefully the writing's good and all that stuff, but I think to cast it right is really sort of the key. Because you never know. I remember when I was doing Hawaii, um, you know, we were sort of the, you know, everybody was like, ooh, Hawaii, you guys are, you know, the, the testing went really well and we scored pretty high and all this stuff. And, and NBC just assumed we were the one. And there was this little show down the hallway. It was a mid-season. Nobody was that excited about it called Medium. Okay. And uh, whatever, you know, and literally like nothing else survived that year in medium. I think it's still on or something, you know, but um, nobody knew at the time that people really wanted to see a show. You know, this this idea of like, you know, kind of housewife medium that that concept would really catch on. And, you know, so so timing, I mean, you know, right now, like if white collar came out right now, I don't know if it would work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully it would. But I don't know. if It, it kind of it kind of caught with. The people really into USA with Monk. Exactly. And then this and kind that of was kind like of crowd evolution. kind of moved into White Collar. Right. And, you know, because, again, I, you know, I've said it before, like, like Graceland is pretty hardcore. It's drugs and there's a lot of sex and stuff. And White Collar became kind of a family show without trying. I mean, it set out to do kind of this nice Lily White. But we also had a lot of parents saying, hey, we watched this show with our kids. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm making a family <laughs> show. When did that happen? Um, but, you know, so I think, I, I think that. But I think, you know, Matt, the chemistry with Matt, Tim, and Willie probably really you know really made it i mean i'm always surprised too with like you know tiffany and tim tiffany Thiessen was like a big sort of casting you know that was one everybody's like really wow <laughs> you know saved by the bell really um <laughs> uh, but just that relationship between uh you know peter and elizabeth what i know is i know a lot of women who come in and say they really really like that on the show so you know to, i guess to answer the question i would say like you know getting a concept that that's I don't know if it has to be new. Like, like the one thing I always go for is, like, you don't want to come up with something that's so new and unique that the network can't bite. They have to have that, you know, comfort food feeling, but you have to, like... Make oh, it okay. interesting and yeah, new, like, uh, make something old new. Exactly, or give it that little bit of a twist. Yeah. Otherwise, they're not going to take a chance on you. So there's the practicality of that. It may be the best thing ever, but if you can't get them, you know, to if make If they the can't, because yeah. they're, they're numbers right. people. Yeah, exactly. They're all about the numbers. Exactly. Um, so also... God, I always like get it in my mind. Then you say something really cool, and it like makes me well, forget my okay. question. 
Um, so you were saying about blah. Seriously, sorry about that, guys. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So, what are some of the challenges you have ending the series? Oh God, ending the series! Wow. Because um, when you have when you when you have right. a series like this, like not to throw not to throw Dexter under the bus. Sure. That was probably one of the worst series endings I've ever seen. Right. So, like, but then when you look at Breaking Bad, it's probably one of the best. best right. Because you don't leave with a bad taste in your mouth. Exactly. So, when you're trying to anticipate what the fans mm-hmm. want, but also you have to weigh that against what really makes sense right. and what's going to be mm-hmm. a good ending as opposed to just yeah. fan service. Right. Like, how do you kind of decide? Well, like I said, we just locked the white collar finale today, and I, it's really good. I mean, it's one of those where... You know, the network was – there There was always, you know, is it going to be any good or not? And I, I could say genuinely I think this one's really good. Um, you know, everybody cries and it's just it, – it's sort of an all-complete. And we spent a long time because there was a version of it, which I can tell my alternate version just because we didn't do it. <laughs> but uh, at the very beginning, because I'd kind of laid the show out. And I always had from season one, my ending was going to be this. It was Neil uh, – it's it's the, the final day he's off his anklet. And, you know, Peter tells him the day before, you know, it's like you're off your anklet. And, you know, what are you going to do? And he goes, I haven't thought about it really yet. And so we've got Neil. First day, he's a free man, and he's walking down the street, and he gets to the Flatiron Flatiron Building. If you haven't been there in New York, it's a building, a very narrow building. Mm -hmm. And he gets there. And so he's right at the the apex of it, and he can either go right or he can go left. And we see he's been tossing a coin. He flips a coin, and it comes down, and it lands on heads. And he starts right. And he goes right. And as he gets, as he, go, as he goes right, there's Mozzie, and Mozzie's got a limo. And he's like, are we doing it? We're doing this. And you realize Mozzie and Neil are going off. They're going to be the greatest criminals in the history of you know, criminals. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we, we come back, and Neil's now at the apex of the building, and he's standing there. And he's flipping the coin, and this time it comes up tails. And he goes to the left this time. And he goes to the left, and he ends up at the FBI office, and he comes in, and Peter's been promoted, and Neil goes in, and he takes his desk as new agent, and he's the new Peter Burke, and he sits, sits down there. And we realize, well, we've seen these two different futures for Neil. So let me guess. He flips the coin one last time. And it cuts he the black. He closes his hand, closes the black. We cut the black before we did it. So that was the ending that I'd always wanted to do. Oh, wow. And, you know, Is that it, the one you've had in mind? That's the one I had in mind since the beginning of the series. Wow. And I sat down with Matt and Tim, and we talked about it. And both of them said, look, it's, it's a good ending for something that may never come back ever again. It's, it's wonderful. Okay. Because then you're set. We're set. That's it. You know, you kind of have it. And you know, the one of those two options or whatever. And so they, had, which I won't tell you what it is, but they had pitched me a version that they had had, and it kind of linked up with a version that I'd been toying with too. Which was, and again, I want to say it, but I said, you know, that's pretty good, and I felt it kind of, kind of, you know, accomplished everything. Because really, the hardest part about this is, you know, to end a series like this, you kind of want, you know, you hopefully, like you said, you want people to leave and say. That was a good ride, and not what the hell were they thinking, you know? So, so for us, it was really just a matter of sitting there and saying, okay, what is this ride? And then once we figured it out, and this would be so much easier if, if, if we were doing the post show for that one to talk about <laughs> this. But it was like, at this point, what do, you know, did we accomplish this? And the hardest part for, for our series is because no matter what you do in this series, Neil is such a con man that you go, well, we won't believe anything you do. Anything we do, it'll be like, well, of course it's fake. Of course it's not real. Of course you can never he's take not it face really going to do that. Yeah. And so that became the real challenge, um, which I think if you see it, you go, oh, I get it now, what he's talking about. But that do you think everyone's going to be happy with it? I think so. I think so. Is it, from, from, all the, from all the shows you've written, mm-hmm. you, you, you marked this season down to six episodes. It's, yeah, well, and yeah. you talk about how... <laughs> you, you, have it, you talk about how it's like a mini-series event. Right. Yeah. So what are, is, it, is, it, is it different 
directing it or not directing it, but yeah, it was right. Well, it the difference only, was only six hours, right? Because Graceland is really it's a serialized show. I mean, it's a it literally is a soap opera. Um, White Collar was never that. White Collar was always a show that had you know a, a you know bad guy of the week and then you know a puppy of the week, which is you know mm-hmm. puppies the whoever the victim is that you say, and there was some mythology laid on top of it. But the show was, you know, an episodic show. You could watch episode six or twelve, and it didn't, didn't matter. matter. You could just jump in. Like and Graceland's the opposite. And so the different approach for this is: let's make this a serialized. Let's do this. Let's do a long movie. Let's do a little mini series with White Collar and really make it emotional and really make it, you know, delve into the characters in ways we haven't really done before. Like dive in deeper. So, so this is going to the mini series is going to be filmed more like Graceland, and you should watch every episode in yeah. order. Yeah, don't jump in on this on episode six. You can, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, let's put it this way: you can. I mean, having seen it now, I'd say yeah, you could probably. If you watch nothing else, watch the finale. Watch the pilot. Watch the finale. Um, but you know, you're going to get a lot more out of it if you watch uh, if you watch the full six. So I got a Twitter question from mm-hmm. at Leia underscore eighty seven. You said Le- you said Sarah and Neil's love story wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. Will Sarah return in season six? Um, when did I say that? <laughs> I'm just taking the Twitter question. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I know I said that. I know I said that. Um, let's say it won't, their, their story isn't finished, mm-hmm. but, um, depends. Do you believe in love in heaven? Aww. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just say that we couldn't get, uh, we couldn't get, uh, Hillary Burton back for this season. Oh, so, okay. unfortunately. So they just have to like, Pretend, transpose yeah. a face yeah. onto an slash, extra. Yeah, slash fiction, baby. <laughs> and uh, another Twitter question. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think... Or, no. Who did all the amazing artwork on White Collar and how about auctioning it off for charity? Oh, that's a good idea. I'd love to own a Caffrey by yeah. L.J. Pritchard. Uh, most of those we had, we had two. Stephen Beatrice um, was our production designer did most of Neil's stuff, but he's a very talented guy. Okay. So there you go. And auctioning them off. I know Fox is auctioning props off and if anybody buys Neil's anklet, I want it because they wouldn't sell it to me. You, <laughs> You don't it's ask. A long story. I know. I did ask. You don't ask. Don't ask. You walk in and it's just mysterious. Well, I did. Unfortunately, I was not. I was in Manhattan last weekend. Had I been there the weekend before, I could have walked in, but they'd already given it away. So, I got Neil's toaster. Is what I got. You got Neil's toaster. I was kind of kidding. They, what do you want? And I said, "What is?" You know, I figured everybody's taking everything. I wanted the Socrates bust that was sitting on Neil's desk. They said, "Bomber's getting that." I'm like, "Fine." Can I have this? No, I can't have that. Can I have this? No. I want his toaster. And they sent me his toaster. So I'm, I'm going to pitch you an alternate ending to White Collar. You okay. should go film it now. All right. Um, <laughs> you find out that the the thing around his foot mm-hmm. was just not there the whole time. It was just his imagination. And he's just been sitting in a wheelchair the entire time. <laughs> we actually, funny you say that. We actually had one. It was in the episode where uh, in, uh, I think it was season one, it was, um, uh, God, I can't believe it. I can't remember the name of it. It was uh, where Neil's in the, basically they drug Neil up and they take him to a mental institution. Okay. Um, God, I can't, it's, it's one of my least favorite episodes, but the fan favorite episode. Um <laughs> Anyway, Mozzie gets left at one point. Mozzie snuck into this mental institution and gets left there. And we had we had written an alternate script called "In Mozzie's Mind," where he'd actually been given a lobotomy. And the entire series was Mozzie solving these crimes in his mind. But of course, the crook always goes free because at the end, the killer or whatever Mozzie can't talk. So every episode ends. And Dan Shattuck, who at the time was our writer's assistant, now is my number two on Graceland, um, had written this really brilliant script called "In Mozzie's Mind." So that was really the premise of it: is Mozzie really solving sad crimes in his mind. And yeah, it's too bad. I think somebody should make it. I mean, you could have it just be like, okay, you know, um, tomorrow's your last day with the bracelet on. They're like, what? Bracelet? And then he gets shot, and he's like, oh, two days from retirement. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And that's the end of the series, fade to black. Oh, I love it. All right, guys. So we're gonna we're gonna actually. Uh, I think I went through all of the Twitter questions cool. for that. I want to talk Graceland because okay. Graceland's the one I watch religiously. 
do the show here at After Buzz. If you didn't, if you watch Graceland, you're only watching this interview. You need to go watch our after show because we actually had you on it tonight. Yeah, it and next week we will have Jamie Gray Hyder and Eric Valdez, who played Lucia and Carlito, respectively. Yeah. All right. And so I will Graceland. try to drop by if I can. So I'll, I'll text you. Make sure you know. No, what I'd love going to. I, you guys are really close to me. So. <laughs> so, Graceland. When we had Joe Henderson in here yes. last season, he mm-hmm. talked about how this has been a script that's been in the pipeline for so long, but it's a very it was very dark, mm-hmm. and it's, of course, that gritty cop drama in USA is if you couldn't Not get that. white collar on it, yeah. then, how like, are you going right? to get Graceland mm-hmm. on it? And I have a second part of this question, but it's just like, how long have you had this script to Graceland, this, and what was the original sure. story? Uh, the original story was identical. Okay. Um, the only difference, what, uh, and I think it was 2003 when I wrote it. It was originally, um, it was based on a true story, and my agents at CAA had hooked me up with this guy, John Marcello, who was really in the pilot, um, there was uh, Silvo's character, who's kind of the din, din father of the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, John was the real guy. Um, there was the real house in Manhattan Beach where these agents would hang out. He had gone in and uh, you know met some agents at CA and said, you got to meet this guy. So I met him, and he told me about this, and then let me meet some of the real guys. Um, and I went, this is really cool. And what really got me was, A, it's a true story, but, you know, Again, it's like the house was the one place these guys lied for a living, and they could come in and they could decompress in this this world. Irony, because they don't get exactly. To and that was in there sort of the thing. Is what they you know they told me they said, well, people only live about two you know literally two 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 years is about the max you can live in the house. I said, why is that? And they said burnout. I said because of the job. They said no, because of the roommate situation. <laughs> you know, a good friend of mine, Jane Pointer, and her husband Tabor were in the original Biosphere too. You know, that's the experiment where they lock people in there, yeah. you know, for a while. And they went batshit crazy within, like, you know, a couple of, couple of weeks. They wow. formed a defaction. The Graceland was very similar, the real one. Now, Graceland was our name for it. They didn't have a name for their house. But, uh, um, you know, and so just, just the, the, you know, the, the drama on that I thought was really interesting. My biggest fear as an idea was I thought it sounds too much like a fake idea. You know, it's like, so you have this house and they're all good-looking <laughs> undercover agents. You're going to place it them in It sounds like you're smoking too, weed and, like, bitching to your yeah, friend. Like, completely fake. So, dude, so, dude. You know, I cap. So if you watch the pilot, there's a big thing saying, based on a true story. And then USA Close dropped it where I'm like, yeah. Because I was like, it is real. We're not making this up. Um, there's certain things we didn't get to do. Like, um, they, they had one, I, I want to say they called it the Jungle Room. Um which was because you weren't allowed to have civilians upstairs, but they dated. And so if you wanted to have a girl over or a guy over, they had a room downstairs and each agent could claim it. And then they, like, that a drawer, you'd pull it out and you put up your own photos and stuff. You'd decorate it, <laughs> put on your own sheets. That's where you took your, you know. They cut that out? Uh, USA at the time was, we were kind of, and they felt it was a little too misogynistic. Uh, a bit, yeah. I mean, I'm like, really? Now we're like burning But I would see Paige and, being the only one using their Exactly, room. like stabbing people to death, burning their bodies, but that's the misogynistic part of it. I mean, we still get to burn bodies in Season of Graceland. Exactly. Um, and that was actually a question okay. by, uh, it was, the question was, it was based on who are the real Briggs and Mike by really, Rosie Rebecca. It really wasn't. Um, I mean, it was based, the guys that I met, I mean, I didn't base anybody in particular. There was one guy that, because um, I never got the real names, but was similar to Johnny. Um, mm-hmm. But Johnny was originally going to be much more of a dog. Um, the guy that I met had several different phones. Like every girl he had, he had a different cell phone for. They were all different colors. So, you know, or a piece of tape would be like, oh, there's yellow calling. Hey, baby, how's it going? You know, <laughs> you know how's it going? Get too you know, Yo, Steph, what's up, baby? You know, it's like that kind of thing. So based on that, it was, 
you know, uh, we wanted to go that way. But again, that got dropped. It's again, season one being a little too misogynistic. So, like, those things kind of came out of the show, those sort of certain elements. And we decided to just go straight with heroin and, you know, torture. So. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, skip the misogyny. <laughs> we'll just go for yeah. pouring, boiling, like, freaking lead Land in somebody's eye. Exactly. Which is like fine. Like, yeah, Char- that's fine. Yeah, characters welcome, baby. So, with, uh, with shows like Breaking Bad and mm-hmm. The Wire, Shield, like, all the darker dramas have actually paid way for the showrunners to have the ability to kind of lead their show without the network kind of peeking right. their head in and being mm-hmm. like, hey, you need to make that person's crocodile a puppy. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And for a worse, I can't find a worse analogy than that, but. That's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what you mean. Yes. But like, from from doing white collar and mm-hmm. starting white collar, what are the, some of the differences you've re, you've kind of noticed when starting Graceland now with your control over the show and where you can take it? Yeah, it, it's interesting because again, like I said, when I when they said we'd like to do Graceland and I said, look, I don't want to do it for you guys. I love you us, and I really do. I mean, Alex Seppio, one of the smartest guys I've ever worked with, Jackie DeCrin is very smart, Jeff mm-hmm. Wartel, very smart people. Um, they give some of the best notes I've ever gotten. And my problem was it's like, but you guys are USA. I wrote the show to be really dark. I mean, it wasn't supposed to be anti-white collar, but it was like, I want it to be what it is. I wanted it to be sort of like a real reflection to a certain extent. I mean, the, the grittiness and the pain these people go through. I can't really do that. You know, on USA, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as it was right. White collar has a certain, you know, a certain, you know, like a heightened reality. The bullets don't feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, and Graceland, I wanted it to be. So I said, I don't know if I want to do it. And they said, No, no, we're going to let you do the show you want. And I'm like, Really? Okay. And I mean, they didn't mess with me too much. There's two things they really did. The first season, again, the misogyny thing, but that was pre the show starting. Yeah. And you know, and I, whatever. Okay, fine. Um, but like no needles, that became the big thing. So if you watch season one, you'd actually see a needle going through skin. We had all those shots and we ended up having to, 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 to re-edit the, the episodes. So you see them start to, so that was one thing, which I thought was in terms of like the things they could mess with. Okay. Yeah. The only thing I really regretted was when Briggs kills Juan. Yeah. Or when, when Juan dies and Briggs is there, Briggs was supposed to be high on heroin. Oh, wow. And they backed it. Because, I mean, that was where the whole season was leading, and that's what it was written. And, you know, Jeff Wachtell, hopefully I can talk out of school about him, called me and said, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to air the goddamn episode. I'm just going to put up a big sign and say, Jeff Easton's a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, he's like, you're not going to have the lead of our show killing a guy while he's on heroin. And oh I'm like, but God. that's the whole point. You know, so we really went back and forth, and we we shot it, you know, with him drunk. Which okay, I mean he's got the bottle. He's inebriated, like right? And we actually we I made them steal a shot of him with his heroin rig down on the on the ground instead of the bottle, and I came real close to it, so just saying screw it at the last minute and, and, and undoing it. But I don't know. I mean, but I was a little panicked at that point because we didn't know. I mean, we hadn't done any testing, and there was a lot of fear because again, this was sort of uncharted territory for mm-hmm. USA. I mean, the fact that Briggs was Odin and all these sort of darker things, and he's you know involved in this guy's murder, and they were like, you're done. You can't. You know, come back from this. And, you know, Dan Shattuck, who I mentioned a lot, he and I have had many debates. One of his things is like, you know, networks sometimes confuse um, uh, characters that are likable with relatable with watchable. Like, I would argue that Walter White isn't necessarily likable, but he's infinitely watchable. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the thing with Briggs. Um, but we found out Briggs was actually somewhat relatable. And, you know, likable is what the networks used to always go for. And I think they've now started evolving going you can have a horrible character people hate but they will tune in to watch that person i mean you know uh if, if you're into you know which you probably are but like you know game of thrones jamie yeah. lannister's a good character where and you know jamie i took jamie lannister i also took from that you can rehabilitate a character i mean briggs at the end when they do all their post testing and they found 
Briggs was by far and away the most popular character. People love Briggs. Why? Well, women liked him because they could change. You know, <laughs> I can change him. He won't kill forever. Yeah. Um, but also, they felt like he had a good heart. You know, in him, and that you could do that, so you could get away with a lot. Even more. if it's from a tainted place, he's doing it for the right. Yeah, reasons. and I think for USA, that was sort of a learning curve for them to go. Oh, you can actually have a very, very flawed character because before you had, you know. A lot of their shows, it, it was sort of that, you know, there's a Boy Scout perfection, which a lot of ways, I think, like with Mike's character, I think can turn off an audience because you've got a guy that's too good. You know, like what, a, you know, I've heard from, like, you know, uh, Sam, my assistant, is like, I didn't like Mike. He was always so goody-goody. But she's like, oh, he's burning people now. I like well, him he's, now. He's, he's interesting. He's taken after Briggs a little bit more. Right. He's suddenly become more watchable, even though I don't know if he's more likable. So, you know, so for USA, that, that again, so that was really the only time I felt that USA had really kind of gotten in my way was with Briggs on heroin. And, but again, at the time, I didn't know. I'm like, you know, wow, are we going to make a character that can't, that can never recover? Can Briggs really ever recover from this? And then, although if you watch next, if you watch the finale next week. If. Well, there's a couple of, <laughs> there's a, yeah, if you're probably listening to this, you probably will. But yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things I'm going, boy, I don't know if we're going to recover from this. So. Like the, as the character or like the from network? the character. Okay. Yeah, no, the network knows what we're doing. But, uh, I think one of, another Twitter question was, mm-hmm. do you think Briggs and Charlie can ever? Oh yeah. Yeah, Briggs and Charlie, fine. That's not the problem. <laughs> so, yeah. There you go. Uh, somebody, yeah. Well, the scenes for next, I'm not going to talk okay. about the scenes for next week. Um, so this is probably a messed up question okay. to ask. Graceland. Yes, sir. The name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people feel that that detriments the show okay. and that a lot of people don't know what to expect when they hear Graceland. True. So mm-hmm. you, your viewership has not been as high possible. in the live viewings, mm-hmm. but on the playbacks, it's watched a lot. I would say, yeah, that may be true. Um, well, part of it is, look, USA's got a lot of theories, one theory being that that we have a more affluent affluent audience because they don't watch TV. A lot of if you're mm-hmm. more affluent, you watch it online. Okay, because you own a computer, I guess. Uh, I'll take that. If they want to sell that to me, I'll buy it. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, our, our plus threes and plus sevens are usually, or L threes and L sevens are usually higher. Um, it, it may be. I mean, look, names is a big deal. They didn't like the name Graceland. You know, it's my name. But like White Collar was interesting because USA had tested that, and most people thought it was going to be a show about a priest. Um, That's true. And yeah. they said, no, we don't want to, like, uh, pros and cons was the name that they were going to go with. And I said, I will quit right now if you call it pros and cons. Uh, <laughs> Too so funny. We, you know, White Collar ended up being okay. And Graceland came back. Most people thought it was a show about Elvis. And it became a real issue. But, you know, Safe House was a, a title. And we had, oh. you know. And look, for me, it's it was an obvious it was an obvious title. But, you know, I was more than willing to change it because I don't want to. I don't like I don't like doing dumb things to hurt my show. Like artistic integrity be damned. It's like if I can get another, you know. Four million people watching it. I'll I'll, do, I'll change the name to you know, whatever pros and cons. I guess. Well, it's kind of interesting because it's just looking looking at the name. Like, I don't think like I got I randomly discovered the show. Mm-hmm. Like Julie mm-hmm. Parton, who I think you've met Julie. Yeah. She hosted the first season with me, and uh, or rather I jumped on the show because she didn't have a co-host, and I was like, oh, what's this? So I started watching it. I didn't know what Graceland was before right. I watched that first episode. And it adds a nice little cheeky humor calling it Graceland and the, and the jokes that you can mm-hmm. play off of that. So it's great. I think it's just – it's an interesting choice to see and I'm glad to see that it got that second season yeah. because with the second season, it really gets in deep with – if you guys get this thing on like Netflix, like people are going to be watching the hell out of it. Yeah, not a good idea. Thanks. <laughs> are you guys working on that right now? Yeah, I hope so. Uh, yeah, I th- actually, I thought it was on Netflix. It's not yet. I thought they, um, co- I thought they did a deal. Maybe not. I, I haven't seen it on okay. there yet. You're probably right. Uh, so, I get, character-wise, why is Mike the only person that can keep Br- Br- put Briggs on his toes? Because it seems like when Mike's not there, mm-hmm. everything's all happy-go-lucky days at Graceland. Right. 
But when Mike's there, Briggs is just... Is he the only one who can go toe-to-toe with Briggs? Or the only one who calls Briggs out on a Initially, BS? yeah, it was it. Initially, you know, Briggs was sort of set up as kind of the, the father of the house. And he was he's kind of the guy. And a lot of it, too, was, you know, again, the, the way the show was constructed, it was kind of Mike, Mike, Mike versus Briggs. Yeah. Um, it's interesting if you look at the two posters this year. Because last year's poster was really an ensemble poster with the whole group. And this year was Mike versus Briggs. Mike in the background. Which I kept telling you, I say you should swap those. <laughs> uh, this was, Last year's would have been a great season two poster and vice versa. Um, but yeah, just the conceit of the show was really Mike versus Briggs. And then kind of, you know, it was an ensemble. USA came again this year and said, you know, you guys have a real ensemble. Let's do an ensemble. Um, and, you know, look, probably I felt like because of the way the season broke down, I, in, the, in the last show I talked about how Zelensky was supposed to die um, about episode six. And because that didn't happen, because we didn't kill him, uh, some other things moved around. And I really did sort of, you know, give Briggs short shift this year. Like his storyline really doesn't kick in until episode six. And yeah. that was, you know, I think one big mistake on my part was – you know, um, it's always like probably not the best idea to create a character, especially somebody to me as interesting as Briggs was last year, and make them good at the beginning of the season. Like good characters are boring characters, and Briggs to be like, I'm going to be good this year, okay, which means I'm not going to do anything interesting. Um, and really, until he does the vodka boarding in episode six, um, where we start to see the dark Briggs come out. In reality, I should have moved that up to about episode three. Really? Yeah, I think so. Because it was a little bit slower moving. It was with- a, yeah, and part of it was just, you know, we had laid out so much story, and this was a big learning curve for us. Because, you know, coming off White Collar, which most, most of my writers had, we didn't have a lot of experience in serialized storytelling mm-hmm. other than just what we liked. And the second we started, you know, because, again, I think Johnny's got a great story. I think uh, Paige had a great story this year. Uh, Jake's had a really interesting story this year. And so we had these really cool stories going out. And they took up a lot more screen time than we thought. So suddenly what was supposed to happen in episode three is happening in episode six, et cetera. Things are getting stretched out. So suddenly Charlie doesn't have a big storyline at the beginning. Briggs doesn't have a big storyline. You know, and so, so ultimately, yeah, it was probably a mistake on, on our part to do it that way. I don't really think it's a mistake. I think it just plays out differently than it could have. Yeah, I just wish we'd have, like, I wish I'd have given Briggs and Charlie something a little more meaty at the beginning of the season is all. Yeah, I guess that. That does kind of make sense. Um, and this season we've also dealt with Jake's a lot, with yeah. Jake's son. Mm-hmm. We haven't dealt with Jake's son in a few episodes now. But is this going to be a theme that kind of runs through into se- like into the next coming seasons? Uh, or is right. we, are we kind of coming I, up on the I, end of the I arc? I think we're kind of done with that arc. I mean, okay. really, there was, a, there, was a, there was a point where that arc was supposed to extend out. Um, and again, talking about the Zelensky thing that was supposed to mm-hmm. crash into that, where we were going to have Jake's go back. And um, uh, uh, Daniel, um, his son. Uh, sorry, not the son. Sorry, Derek, who's the guy, the, like the the guy that's the new father figure oh, yeah. for Daniel. Um, Jake's was going to go get in a fight with him. Finds out because we set up earlier. There's a two striker, and that was set up because Jake's goes and reports him and gets a guy thrown into prison on third strike to try to get the family back, which oh is an God. evil, horrible thing to do. And ultimately, we we abandoned. I said, you know what. That would like, make him way too unlikable. Makes him too unlikable, and I don't know if that's something we could recover from. So we dropped it, and again, because the other storylines were picking up speed, we kind of unfortunately left, you know, we left poor Brandon hanging out there a little bit. So I think in terms of the Sun storyline, I mean, he'll probably be back at some point, but that storyline itself is closed. Is there a reason you guys just hate Jake's? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, he was set up that way. And, like, I love, I mean, Brandon always gripes, like, man, you guys make me into a dick all the time. But he was sort of designed that way. I mean, the one thing I'm sure Brandon, if he was in here, griped about his, his dreads. He wants to cut them. Really? Um, yeah. And that's one of those where, you know, I haven't decided if he's Samson and then all his power lies within those dreads. I mean, it's kind of what got him the part to it. Well, I shouldn't say he's an incredibly talented actor, but I mean, that look was so iconic. And he really wants to get those things shaved. So, um, 
we were talking about doing that and really kind of having this guy who, you know, go. Initially, he was going to shave his head on camera because he's had those things I think, for 14 years now or something yeah. like that. I mean, you have to for them yeah. to be that long. Yeah, and he was going to shave them on camera, and we were going to have this thing where he did it after he, you know, abandoned Paige and almost got her killed in there. Oh. And that was going to be the thing, and he's going to rise from the ashes and kind of come with that. The problem is. With all the other storylines, we didn't have the the real estate to to give him that you know Phoenix rise from the ashes. So it was like hold, <laughs> you know, we still may may get rid of the dreads, but if we do it, I want to we need I wanna, to do it in season three. So wanna, you got to keep him for a while. Exactly, and yeah, and I just yeah, unfortunately, so he has to suffer through another another off season with dreads. If you have it be like somebody's grabbing them, so yeah. they have to like yeah. cut yeah. them to get yeah, out exactly. of there, no, like that no, kind yeah. of thing. There you go. Love it. And then with Paige's character, mm-hmm. Paige's character really this character, not this character, the season mm-hmm. has. The girls, like right. her main focus, has is been the girls, these right. girls. Is it? And I know, I know, Sorinda is very passionate Personal, about yeah. this, this mm-hmm. subject as well. Correct. Did she have any part in creating this storyline? Yeah. Or yes, yeah, she did. Um, yeah, it was like we were sitting there talking about it. We talked a lot about doing some kind of, uh, um, you know, human trafficking, uh, you know, um, storyline, and she, you know, was very personally involved with that and initially the problem with it was the network and studio both felt that it was such a dark dark world to go into we didn't want to go into it now the good news is we really felt that episode six was one of our best episodes ever done and i think our ratings jumped 46 percent that night which was which episode was six that was the one where page goes in where she swallows the balloon yeah that was crazy yeah and it was so infuriating like there's (laughs) no not like like from the seat you're like come on jake's like yeah what are you doing man yeah yeah, that was for like we'd crashed and i mean dan and i had come up with that idea early on the season but i mean she had said is there anything you can do you know with with sex trafficking can you do something with that so you know personally she does a lot of work with those groups uh, Mm -hmm. and stuff and we said yeah we'll think about it and again usa and fox were like you know it wasn't that they don't want to go to that world it's just because we knew in design we're going to spend like half the freaking season in there and it's such a depressing thing you know with it those really, girls it's in really there. dark too it is it's horribly dark and you know um, we, that was the real question is do we want to are people going to not tune into a show because like oh god what a horrible dark world to go into each week and ultimately again USA to their credit said go for it you know let's try it and you know we did it and actually it's 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 been one of the I think the better storylines we've pulled mm-hmm. off because you know in 10 we have the big shootout where they rescue him and stuff like that which I think was good well it affects all the characters differently because oh, yeah. totally, we have yeah. we have Jake's being able to have that moment with Paige and Paige right. being affected by multiple things plus Mike being stuck in that situation and covering up the murder not yeah the murder of Lena kind right. of covering it up and honestly I loved the character of Sola the actor, oh, he was fantastic, I, He's man. amazing. He's so good, yeah. Every time I see him in something, I never remember his name. No, exactly. I wish I could. <laughs> but no, he's he's absolutely He's fantastic. great. He's really good in what he does. And that, that, that character, I mean, casting him was just, it was like, was, that character could be so, if he's, if he's too over the top, then he's goofy. But I mean, he's, 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 he really nailed it. He did. And then when he's killed by Sid, now we focus more on Sid. Now that right. the, the now girls sort are of kind the design of over. Is to transfer over. Because yeah, yeah, exactly. we have this evil group of people exactly. and now we're moving into this group of cops that are like becoming Correct. the evil people. Mm-hmm. And right now we are at a crossroads here where Briggs is undercover but his cover's blown and he doesn't Correct. know it. Right. What can we expect for this finale? Um, it's pretty cool. I would say that... Um, let's see. There's, there's one character becomes the Judas for the rest of the characters that like kind of completely changes everything one character is the betrayer and uh it's... oh johnny um <laughs> 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 uh, i don't know but uh <laughs> um but yeah it sort of changes everything i think look the finale is sort of like it's a really good build i think i think i don't know i'll be curious to see um 
since I didn't watch tonight's episode. I mean, I've seen it a million freaking times, so I don't, I don't know what what was on the the next week on. <laughs> oh yeah, it I showed like Mike it. looked like he got shot. Yeah, Mike gets shot. Um, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, um, that's the show, everybody. That's I don't know. Season. Once in a while, they'll show stuff. I'm like, my God, what do you guys just gave away the ending? Like, I don't know. They had but their... you can never trust them. You can never trust. Yeah, the that's scenes. true. That's true. And um, even if even if they show you like if they showed me Mike getting shot in the head, like I wouldn't like, believe wouldn't it. Yeah. I'd be like, that's um, true. I mean, but it's it's pretty intense and sort of everything sort of builds up to this point, and I think. I think the ending will probably I, like like I know you're big on predicting. I don't think you'll predict this ending. I'm glad. Well, you want to try? Go for it. Um, I think Sid probably saves somebody's life on hmm. the Graceland team. No, no. <laughs> dead wrong. No, no. dead wrong. No, no. All right, yeah. no. I don't so. know. I was thinking randomly outside the box, but it wouldn't make sense. You know, I uh, I just good, kind though. of I like that. I was, at, season three. At a time, oh, season three, so Sid survives. Oh, hey. No, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, are there any like stories from set that you just think are hilarious that the fans uh, might want to hear right now? Wow, stories from set, uh, white collar or Graceland, Those or any of them, because like everybody's um, watching right now. That's true. Uh, all eyes on you, Jeff. No pressure. Oh, this is always tough. Um, well, let's see. Stories from set. Um, what are interesting stories? Well, I can tell you one. This is sort of a weird story from set, but it's just because uh, Ross McCullough plays Keller, mm-hmm. and I ended up uh, rescuing this dog. <laughs> That's a good story from set. Um, no, it's kind of funny because we're like where they have the makeup trailers. We're in Flushing, New York. Oh, this is a good story actually. Um, this is a story of Jeff on set, me. Um, so it's the last <laughs> day. This is kind of funny. So it's the last day, and the way it works in New York or anywhere, if, if you're around, when we're filming, there's these signs that point to the different shows. Like it'll say Graceland, have an arrow pointing, you know, stuff like that. So I'm in the back of the car. There was a car service picked me up at the hotel, and they're driving me. And I got my suitcase in the back. It was a big ass suitcase. Uh, story. It was actually Joe Henderson's wedding gift. So Joe, that was going to be your wedding gift, but he pissed me off, and I kept it myself. So. <laughs> True story. Uh, it's this nice big green suitcase. So I got this suitcase and I'm, uh, I got it in the car and, you know, I'm not really paying attention. The driver says, here we are. And so I get out of the car and there's the lighting truck and everything. And I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, where's the set? And there's this big ass junkyard, this huge junkyard. And I'm like, okay. So I'm dragging my suitcase through and I'm looking for, is Matt Bomer around? Who? You know, they're not, but I'm looking. There's a film crew. I'm like, who? Matt Bomer? No. Sandy Bookstaver, the director? No, we don't know. Turns out my driver dropped me on the wrong show. <laughs> Which was persons of interest. <laughs> so, um, I'm in the worst part of, one of the worst parts of New York, I guess. Flushing is not a good area. So, I'm sitting there and they tell me, I call my people and they're like, we'll send a PA for you. Can you start walking? So I said, okay. So I'm walking and apparently I'm going the wrong direction because my iPhone, you know, hasn't updated or whatever. So I'm walking the wrong direction and I've got my suitcase and stuff and this guy pulls up next to me and he looks at me and I'm like, and he goes, he waves and he gets out of the car, he comes over, starts throwing my suitcase in the back and I go, uh, are you taking me to set? And he goes, where? And I go, are you taking me to set? And he goes, what are you talking about? And I go, who are you? And he goes, do you need a ride? And I'm like, who are you? And he says, um, well, I'll take you wherever you need to go. And I go, I think I'm waiting for a ride. And he goes, I won't charge you. And I go, no, it's cool. <laughs> so I still don't know to this day who that guy is. So I turn around and start walking the other way. Shout out to that guy. Yeah, that guy. You, you know who you are. Uh, so at that point... Um, I'm walking back, and uh, the production uh, coordinator who used to work on White Collar, now works on Person of Interest, walking down, Andrew Sachs goes, Jeff? And I goes, Andrew? What are you doing? And I said, he, he said they dropped me off at the wrong set. He goes, oh, okay. So he drove me over to the White Collar set, and it was a nice reunion with everybody. So there was that story. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for the dog in that story. Oh, well, started no, with, well that, <laughs> I started with the dog. But see, I often do that. People who know me know that I can't. I, I, I tend to do tangents on my stories. The dog was. They set up the make- makeup. Tra- it was just. It was a bad area where we were in. And there's this beautiful dog. There's this. Uh, 
uh, what do you call it? There, there, there's like this junkyard, another junkyard. All my stories have junkyards in them today. And there's this beautiful, big, uh, she looks like a, I think she's a rot Doberman mix. Uh, really gorgeous. And she's in this junkyard. And as I'm walking over, she jumps up on the fence and she's super friendly. And the, 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 my wardrobe, uh, my costumer comes out. Karen goes, do you want her? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I got a chihuahua. I don't need a giant 300-pound dog. And she's like, as 100-pound actually. She goes, well... Uh, they're going to put her to sleep. I'm like, what? what? She's a year old. She goes, yeah, they just, they're going to put her down. They can't keep her. I'm like, are you out of your mind? And they're like, well, can you help her? And I'm like, God, uh, yes, fine. We'll figure out a way to, to do this, right? So Ross McCall, who plays Keller on the show, is a big dog guy too. And I said, what are we going to do? And he said, we, here, because I was flying back like right away. And he goes, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take the dog and I'll put her on a plane and fly her home to you. And then we'll figure it out from there. And I said, okay. And so that night, you know, or actually two days later when he's getting ready to go, I fly back. I fly back home. So I'm in L.A. and I get a call from Ross. It's midnight my time. It's like 3 a.m. there. He's got a 6 a.m. call. And I'm like, you know, he's in Keller's actually. He's uh, he's Scottish. So he's like, you know, he's like, oh, mate, you got to help me. This is he's a freaking mess with this. Dog. Stop it. Stop it. And you hear this chewing. And I was like, no, no. He's got this 100-pound monster in his room. It's tearing the room up. And apparently he tried to put her in the, the, the crate. The kennel. Uh. And she she's never been inside before. So she freaks out and is ripping apart this hotel room. So I finally get a hold of a PA. And I'm 3,000 miles away trying to help him. So I finally get this PA, pay the guy 500 bucks and say, just come out, help him. He comes out, gets the dog, takes her to a vet, tranquilizes her. So she's now been staying uh, for the last almost month now with a uh, with a trainer in Jersey who's taking care of her. And uh, anyway, I flew out this last weekend to take her back, but uh, screw up with the paperwork, so they're going to fly her back this week. So there you go. <laughs> named her named her Finn for finale because that's where we found her. So. There you go. There we go. That's the story. I have no other good stories. <laughs> you have no other good stories. And, oh uh, yeah, Bomber exploded and punched Ross McCall in the face. But oh, never mind. <laughs> They, if that was a real story, no, they actually it. they got into a shouting match, but it was creative differences. It was kind of awesome. But did he so. punch him in the face? No, he almost did. Oh, he almost. Oh, okay, dang. Well, that would that would have been, been a great story. Too. <laughs> that would have yeah. been a great story. But mm-hmm. we got the story about Arnold. We got the story about L.A. Arnold's and having your Volkswagen bus being stolen. Right. Hot, we got a lot of stories, fast, yeah. guys. I I really feel like we got to know Jeff Easton today. Yeah, there you go. And uh, yeah. I I think this was a great great time. Great to have you this in. Was fun, and thank you. I probably went way over my allotted time to have for this interview, but. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I, I had a blast. Cool. Thank nice. you so much for coming in, Jeff. Oh, thank you, man. Really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure. Um, where can we find you on Twitter? Where can your fans uh, follow your work? Just uh, uh, Jeff Easton on Twitter. Just E-A-S-E-A-S-T-I-N. It's not like the bat. Easton. So, Jeff Easton on Twitter. Have any That's other it. shows coming up? I uh, don't know yet. I mean, hopefully Knockwood Graceland will be back. And then, uh, I don't know. I go pitch uh, Bill McGoldrick, who runs Sci-Fi said come in and pitch me something so i would love to do some dark sci-fi thing that's my oh, wow. that's my goal anyway all right i don't know what it's gonna be but boom well we'll look out for that thanks man guys thank you for tuning in this has been after buzz tv's creators and showrunners i'm your host Stephen lemieux you can find me on twitter at Stephen lemieux s-t-p-h-n-l-e-m-i-u-x check me out on the graceland after show next wednesday at uh nine pacific time check me out on the strain after show as well as master chef and coming up sons of anarchy guys thank you so much thank you it's Steven. been a bless thank you From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 